Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Later this hour, we'll talk with Pastor Jeff Peabody. He's the author of Perfectly Suited, The Armor of God for the Anxious Mind. He's coming up at the bottom of this hour, and we'll continue our march through some of the day's headlines in the second hour. We'll talk about fake Christian nationalism and how that's being used to try to silence the Christian community, all of that and more on today's program. Well, inflation surged 8.5% in July compared to the same month last year, down slightly from the four-decade high reached in June, according to the Labor Department. Well, the Consumer Price Index, which is a key measure of the cost of goods and services, dropped slightly due to a decline in record high fuel prices, which drove the previous month's historic inflation spike. The increase also beat expectations, as economists surveyed by Dow Jones expected headline CPI to increase 8.7% year over year in July. Excluding volatile food and fuel prices, core inflation rose 5.9% annually and 0.3% monthly. Well, the average national fuel price stood at $4.10 per gallon as of Wednesday, down from a record high of $5.16 in mid-June. Of course, here in our part of the country, it's much higher. Despite the slight relief offered by declining fuel prices, the Federal Reserve is still expected to further raise interest rates to bring inflation closer to its target of 2%. Voters across the country consistently rank inflation as One of their top priorities going into the November midterm elections, Republicans have consistently highlighted the administration's aggressive spending, arguing that the $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill passed weeks after the president took office, overheated an already hot economic recovery. And while the president has repeatedly denied that the package contributed to record inflation, even calling the idea bizarre, the moniker attached to the Democrats' latest spending bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, at least nods towards uh, voters' concerns, though nonpartisan analysts have said the legislation's impact on inflation will be negligible. The $433 billion spending bill, which passed the Senate over the weekend and is expected to be signed by Biden this week after passing the House, includes $369 billion for climate initiatives and another $80 billion to double the size of the IRS. It also imposes a 15 percent corporate tax on businesses worth more than a billion dollars. Markets reacted Uh, positively to the uh, CPI numbers on Wednesday with the Dow Jones uh, futures up more than 400 points and government bonds down sharply. During an address from the White House, the president claimed, before I began today, I want to say a word about news that came out today relative to the economy. Actually, I just wanted to say a number zero. He emphasized today we received news that our economy has zero percent inflation in the month of July. Well, did he misspeak or did he deliberately mislead? Though the um, on the latest consumer price index numbers, which rose 8.5 percent in July from a year ago, below the 9.1 year by year surge recorded in June, the rate was less than the CPI number in June and 
0.2% lower than the 8.7 CPI rate recorded in May. Well, that means inflation slowed in July for the first time in months, as the outlet reported, though it's only 0.2% less than the highest CPI, 8.7% in 40 years. Essentially, inflation remains almost as bad as it has been all summer, and it's not zero. Perhaps the president meant um, zero as in zero increase in inflation, but he didn't correct himself. The Media Research Center Twitter account provided the actual inflation rate, tweeting, Biden says there is zero inflation. CPI says 8.5 percent in July. Meanwhile, the White House economic advisor admits July inflation reports not, no victory lap. The White House uh, Council of Economic Advisors member Jared Bernstein, he claimed the Biden administration still has work to do on in America's uh, newsroom. What I can say today is that inflation went up zero percent in the month of July. Uh, so a great report following a great jobs report and a bit of much needed breathing room. Look, no victory lap. There's still elevated prices in key areas trying to at least clarify the situation. Meanwhile, Nate Jackson points out that there are five reasons inflation is still bad news. First of all, the Inflation Reduction Act is one of the most deceptively named pieces of legislation in recent memory. Even economists who favor Chuck Schumer and Joe Manchin's compromise don't think spending $740 billion on health care and the Green New Deal light will do much to reduce inflation, and only in a few years at that. Economists who know what they're talking about realize that the boondoggle will exacerbate inflation after Joe Biden's American Rescue Plan lit the fire in the spring of 21. Second, the primary reason that inflation was uh, was flat between June and July and down a bit year over year is that uh, gas prices dropped 7.7 percent from June's record highs and energy overall stabilized while prices for used cars also fell. Well, those decreases offset the continued climb of other key items such as groceries, which are up 13.1% from a year ago. Overall, energy is still 32%, uh, up 32% since last July. And though the president has made a sport of uh, boasting about gas prices falling about $1 per gallon in uh, recent weeks, it's small comfort to pay $1.62, about 68% more today than we did the day he took office. Third, inflation might have slowed a bit in July because massive interest hikes by the Federal Reserve with uh, with more probably on the way and two straight quarters of negative GDP growth, which is the long held definition of a recession. Recession plus inflation equals stagflation. Everyone wants inflation back down below 2%, but the path to get there will be the economic pain of another kind. Fourth, though July's job report exceeded expectations at a healthy 528,000 jobs added, wages aren't keeping up. Thanks to Bidenflation, workers have had an effective 3.3% pay cut via the tax of higher prices. On top of that, according to the Department of Labor, productivity fell 2.5% compared to a year ago, the biggest decline on record. Reduced purchasing power will slow demand, which will lower prices if goods can keep up. Fifth, Joe Biden isn't even halfway through his first term, including the president. Uh, The key players in his administration have virtually no private sector experience and they're uh, neither capable nor desirous of riding the ship. To Democrats, there's only uh, ever two economic buttons to push, more government spending and tighter government control. In short, as much as we hate to play the role of Debbie Downer, there's an awful lot of dark cloud in the CPI silver lining.
Hmm. One addendum to that idea. It's so bad out there that Mr. Biden broke the misery index, the economic indicator that's been used since 1948 to measure how miserable people are in any given country, uh, writes Charles Hurt. It's calculation, a combination of the unemployment rate and the inflation rate. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll continue to wind our way through some of the news. We'll talk a bit about the raid on Mar-a-Lago and what all that might mean. And coming up this hour, Pastor Jeff Peabody, perfectly suited, the armor of God for the anxious mind. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next segment, Pastor Jeff Peabody, Perfectly Suited. That's the title of his book, The Armor of God for the Anxious Mind. Well, the raid on Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago home Monday may be one of the most consequential attacks on our constitutional republic in modern times. So writes Gary Bauer, to fully appreciate the seriousness of the situation, consider these facts. He suggests this was the home of a former president. The raid was ordered by the attorney general who answers to the current president. The former president is preparing to run against the current president. That's all you need to know. Well, we actually do need to know considerably more than that. But I get his point. He goes on. The implications of this raid should outrage every free man and woman in our beloved country. The raid was a raw, tyrannical abuse of government power. The intolerant and totalitarian left has criminalized politics and weaponized the Department of Justice and the FBI to an unprecedented degree. Because they are determined to get the man, and by extension, his millions of followers whom they despise and fear most, to drop out. We're being told that this raid was executed over a records-keeping dispute. No one believes that. Every administration in modern history has fought with national archives over what records a president can and cannot take with them when they leave office. It's a minor thing. It's not the kind of thing you, that you send uh, 30 FBI agents armed with automatic weapons over. Moreover, Donald Trump had been cooperating fully with the national archives for months. Now, the, the uh, Department of Justice disputes that point, although they said nothing. Uh, he handed over 15 boxes of documents in January. I don't care that a judge signed off on the warrant and neither should you, he writes. The FBI has repeatedly lied to judges in recent years and it lied about the whole Russia collusion hoax for years. It's also being reported that the judge who approved the warrant is an Obama uh, donor who once represented associates of Jeffrey Epstein. The raid of Trump's home was symbolically a raid on all our homes. Hmm. If they will do this to a former president, just imagine how Biden's new army of 87,000 IRS agents will treat you. Some uh, legal terrorists, Mark Elias, gleefully suggested that this might be an attempt to legally prohibit Trump from running again in 2024, suggesting this was politically motivated. My friends, this is really important. It totally misses the point to simply say, well, the left just doesn't uh, want Trump to be president again. They don't want him to have the power and they don't want the 75 million Americans who supported him to have power again either. The left is now gunning for Ron DeSantis, too. It will smear and destroy any conservative who threatens their grip on power. Well, this is one perspective on what happened in the president's um, uh, president's home raid. Well, one of his homes. He has several. Uh, in any event, we'll talk later in the program about uh, whether or not this is as consequential as Gary Bauer suggested and what uh, we need to see and hear in order to determine whether or not this was, in fact, justified. There are four questions after the FBI raid uh, of the president's home. Is the a Trump indictment more likely? The FBI's rationale for the search warrant authorized by a federal judge likely concerned the president's record, uh, the Presidential Records Act 
According to news reports, the raid by about 30 FBI agents could foreshadow an indictment of the 45th president. According to uh, Michael Lawler, he's an associate professor of criminal justice at the University of New Haven. It's more likely than not there will be an indictment of the former president. He's a former state prosecutor, one-time Democratic member of the Connecticut House, uh, speaking to the Daily Signal. To get this type of warrant, they need to have probable cause showing they recently learned of documents in the pre- in the president's possession. They would um, This would be recent, not something that they knew about for a year or for a month. The House Select Committee investigating the Capitol riot has reported difficulty obtaining documents that are required to be maintained under the Presidential Records Act. In February, the National Archives and Records Administration retrieved documents from Mar-a-Lago, some of which reportedly was classified material. However, Kurt Levy, who's the president of the Committee for Justice, a conservative legal group, said he doesn't anticipate an indictment of the president. My guess is they won't indict him over records retention. If the goal is to send him to jail, no, he will not go to jail for a violation of the Presidential Records Act. Would charges on that act satisfy the Democratic Party base? Possibly. But it would look bad, particularly since Hillary Clinton was investigated in 2016 for transmitting classified information. The FBI investigated Clinton, you might recall, for potentially mishandling classified information on an unsecure home-based email server while she was Secretary of State under President Obama. The FBI determined that she was reckless, but that her actions did not warrant an indictment. I don't buy that the raid in and of itself means we are on the verge of an indictment, Levy says. He noted the FBI has conducted other uh, pre-dawn raids on targets in the Trump orbit, often on misdemeanor charges. The strategy could be providing the appearance of wrongdoing when there really isn't. If there isn't an indictment, they could inflict maximum damage and death by 1,000 leaks. A District of Columbia grand jury selected from a largely Democrat electorate potentially could indict Trump. Uh, Craig Shirley, a uh, presidential historian, says a jury based in the district conceivably could convict Trump, but such a verdict likely wouldn't withstand appeal. But it could at least prolong the process past the uh, the next presidential election. They will push for a D.C. jury uh, because they want a slam dunk, uh, Shirley told the uh, Daily Signal. But if there is a conviction, it will be appealed and will likely go to the Supreme Court. So what are the potential penalties if this were to move forward? Well, someone who removes or destroys protected government documents faces a penalty or a fine or imprisonment under several statutes. What Trump's foes would aim for is a statute covering concealment, removal or mutilation of classified information generally. Under that statute, someone found to be guilty shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than three years or both and shall forfeit his office and be disqualified from holding any other office in the United States. And many believe that's the primary motive to prevent him from seeking office in the future. It's not clear what statute could be used in the Trump case. The University of New Haven's lawyer um, Lawler says, if you are illegally, pos- if you or um, I illegally possessed, possessed rather top secret information, the same thing would happen to us. A former CIA personnel um, are doing long term prison sentences for taking classified information. There is a thorough process to go through a search warrant and get a judge to authorize the search warrant. Well, other than the Clinton case that wasn't prosecuted by the Justice Department, two high profile officials pled guilty in cases related to the mishandling of classified information. Sandy Berger would be one. David Petraeus, the other. Um, 
Levy says he also doubts that the uh, the language in the law requiring someone convicted of mishandling classified information to forfeit his office or be disqualified from holding any office under the United States could disqualify anyone from running for president. Constitutional requirements for running for president supersede all statutes. Larry Schweikart points out he's a retired professor of history at the University of Dayton and author of several history books, most recently Dragon Slayers, Six Presidents and Their War with the Swamp. So that may not be the tool to prevent a a presidential run. Will this further undermine confidence in the Justice Department? Well, Swikart, again, the professor, pointed to a history of the politicized CIA used during Watergate as comparable to the politicized Justice Department. He says the Justice Department has clearly been um, going after Trump for four years, but couldn't get him with two impeachments or special counsels. Trump could be seen as a bigger threat to the swamp out of office before the raid of uh, a Trafalgar group poll found that almost 80 percent of voters say there are two uh, tiers of justice, one for politicians in Washington and one for everyday Americans. And a Trafalgar poll last week found that 58.5 percent of respondents said that federal bureaucracies have grown too large to serve Americans own political interests. The track record of this Justice Department is one hostile to the former president, such as lying on search warrants, Andrew McCabe's lying to the inspector general, the almost three year Mueller investigation. So there's good reason for the department to explain why this is not just a hostile act toward Trump. And maybe they can make that case. It's not altogether clear at this point. Is this unprecedented action justified? Well, the uh, presidential historians stress that it is Biden, the Biden administration, not the uh, just the attorney general, Merrick Garland or the FBI director, Christopher Wray, that is responsible for the unprecedented action against Trump. This has never been done before with a president or former president in American history. Someone who removes or destroys protected government documents faces a penalty of a fine or imprisonment under several statutes. But this is different. He noted that Abraham Lincoln took extraordinary measures during the Civil War and John Adams abused the Constitution by pushing through the Alien and Sedition Act. This move, however, could be more problematic as the administration potentially is attempting to prosecute a past and future political rival. This is, without a doubt, one of the biggest days in American history. You can't minimize it, Shirley says. No president, not even Richard Nixon, did this to political enemies. So we will continue to follow this story as it develops. Do want to mention one other thing, though. The former president said he invoked his Fifth Amendment rights per the advance of his attorneys during a, de- a deposition as part of New York Attorney General Letitia James' civil investigation. We'll talk more about that at the top of the hour. But coming up next, we'll talk with Pastor Jeff Peabody, author of Perfectly Suited, The Armor of God for the Anxious Mind. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. What do you do when your own mind turns on you? Fear, anxiety, and the critical voices in your head can be overwhelming, even if you believe Christ died to free you from all of those things. When he found himself in a mental and emotional meltdown, my next guest, Pastor J.D. Peabody, reached for the armor of God. In the process, he discovered God's protection and grace were far greater than he had previously imagined. Perfectly Suited, his book, explores the armor of God through the lens of personal struggle, showing how the ancient metaphor for God's care is powerful for his embattled children in every generation. The full title of the book 
perfectly suited, the armor of God for the anxious mind. Well, my guest is the founding pastor of New Day Church in Federal Way, Washington, a graduate of uh, graduate rather of Fuller Seminary and Biola University. He's written for Worship Leader, First Things, Christianity Today and Plow.com. He and his wife live in the rainy but beautiful Pacific Northwest, you know, the same area we live in. And we're just delighted to have uh, have you with us today to talk about your latest book, Perfectly Suited, The Armor of God for the Anxious Mind. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Well, I appreciate so much that you have shared elements of your story. I think it really helps those who struggle recognize that this is more common than we might imagine. And the fact that you serve in a pastoral role, I think, really helps as well that you've been vulnerable in acknowledging your personal challenge um, and where you found help. So first of all, I'd want to commend you for the book uh, and for the sermon series that I guess this book uh, came out of. Yeah, you know, um, it was it was really interesting. I had never really uh, seen the armor of God in through the lens of anxiety before. But mm-hmm. once it was in the midst of my own struggle, uh, I, it just kind of opened up in a whole new way for me. And I was so grateful. Well, you write about uh, your struggles with anxiety. Um, talk a bit about when you first noticed this challenge and how that played out in your life. Yeah, uh, you know, for most of my life, uh, I, I hate to admit that I was really largely out of touch with my emotions. Um, and maybe that's a, a typically male uh, fact, but uh, I I just, at any given time, you could ask me how I was feeling, and I probably couldn't tell you because I was just disconnected from what was going on inside. Uh, and yet, our, our brains and our bodies are feeling it, even if we aren't aware of what's going on and eventually they're going to get our attention. And, uh, sometimes that comes out sideways. And for me, it, it came in the form of what I, what I refer to as kind of my emotional, uh, mental meltdown where all of a sudden I just found myself being bombarded with these intrusive, unwanted thoughts that it just felt like my mind was spinning out of control. I told people it felt like my brain broke and, uh, and I didn't know what was going to happen what was happening. It was, it was frightening to me and it was alarming. And I, I went on a walk with a friend of mine who also be a therapist. And uh, as we're walking along, I'm just, I'm just crying, which was also very uncharacteristic of me. And I'm just pouring out my heart and I get to the end of my long uh, tirade here. And, and I say to him, uh, I, I, I'm not an anxious person. And he looked at me and he laughed. And it was not the reaction I had been going for, um, but uh, but it really caught me up short and it made me realize uh, it was like he was saying, have you ever even really looked at yourself? Mm-hmm. And I, 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 it caused me to um, really take stock and begin to uh, see myself differently and a step back. And, and that kind of really uh, led me on a journey that's led right up to today of, of kind of beginning to see, oh, yeah, there's there's a lot more going on under the surface than I realized. Yeah, I think that's probably true for most of us. The scripture says, be anxious for nothing. And it wouldn't have uh, merited its own <laughs> its own verse, if you will, if it wasn't really common among us that we tend toward anxiety, some more than others. So is what you're telling me it's possible to be in a position of leadership, to be a worship leader, a pastor, a women's ministry leader, a parent and still still struggle somewhat in these areas? And be a Christ follower. 
Absolutely. And I think I think that's actually part of the struggle for Christians in particular is because of verses like that. We we read those and we go, okay, well, this, the Bible says, don't be anxious, don't worry, don't be afraid. And I'm feeling these feelings. And so then we feel guilty for having these feelings and we compound our suffering by suddenly now we're we're a bad Christian because we're experiencing this. And so then that leads us to either trying to pretend and, and perform for people to say, oh, no, I'm okay, I'm fine, or, or we push it down and we, we bear all this guilt. When I think, um, I, at least I have kind of come to a place of learning to read those verses a little differently and see in them not so much reprimand as reassurance. And yes. so uh, it, it's like a, a father, uh, it is our father <laughs> saying to us, you know, you don't you don't need to worry. You don't need to be afraid uh, because I've I've taken care of these causes that are that are alarming you. And so, uh, to be able to receive it less as a as a scolding and more as a comfort. Absolutely. In referring to your own book, and we're talking about perfectly suited, and I love the the title, by the way. You say that this is a book about protection and vulnerability, about defensiveness and pain and avoidance. Uh, tell us how this book is about all of those things in the context, not only of exposing those areas where we are vulnerable, but how the armor of God um, is, in fact, designed for the anxious mind. Sure. Well, you know, I think, um, like I was saying before, if if we are feeling uh, that that not only are we are we experiencing all this anxiety, which for me felt like something that it, it wasn't like I could just choose to turn it off. It, it was, it felt beyond my control. Uh, but, but when it feels like this is something that you, you shouldn't be feeling, then uh, you're going to be avoiding that. You're going to be trying to pretend it doesn't exist or push it down. Um, and so you, you begin to rely on your own, uh, self-defensive protection kind of mode to to put shields up around yourself uh, instead of just bringing it to God because you know uh, grace is for all these things that we we can't fix ourselves. That's that's why Jesus came uh, because we couldn't fix the problem of sin and all the brokenness that is attached to that. And so um, to to instead go to him and and realize that the the armor of god is really his his gift to us you know i i grew up in a in a christian home where uh i i heard about the armor of god all the time growing up and and really it felt like the the emphasis was typically placed on the picking up and putting on the armor mm-hmm. and and so uh there was there was so much stress on what you're doing with the armor that it it could become one more thing to get right uh, for God, rather than to say, "Oh, God is telling me I have I have done this on your behalf, and this is this is about uh, your protection." Because if I'm if everything if all my security is in the way that I'm picking it up, then that's not really God's protection for me. That's me protecting myself. And so, learning to to view the armor of God in a whole different way and see uh, that it's really all about. Jesus and his grace for us and um, to receive it um, has, has been a big journey. 
We're talking about the book Perfectly Suited, The Armor of God for the Anxious Mind. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how the armor of God does, in fact, uh, address this challenge that that many of us face on a regular basis. Again, my guest is Pastor Jeff Peabody. He is the um, founding pastor of New Day Church in Federal Way, Washington. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Pastor J.D. Peabody. He's the founding pastor of New Day Church in Federal Way, Washington, a graduate of Fuller Seminary and Biola University. He's written for Worship Leader, First Things, Christianity Today, and Plow.com. He and his wife live in right here in the Pacific Northwest. His book, once again, is titled Perfectly Suited, The Armor of God for the Anxious Mind. Um, we often live with the illusion that a life of trusting God equals fewer problems. I'm not sure where that concept comes from, but is there a danger in expecting that I'm a follower of Christ and therefore uh, it's pretty smooth sailing from here on out? Yeah, I think that is just such a natural uh, way that our minds work as we we think that uh, if if God is asking us to live a certain way, uh, that that's going to pay off in in you know at least if there's not going to be uh, fewer problems for us, that maybe the duration won't be as long or it won't be quite as bad of suffering, and uh, that's that's just not the case. I think uh, God's God's armor for us is is not to take away the battles, but it's to protect us through the battles. And uh, so, we wouldn't need armor if if there weren't uh, a mm-hmm. struggle. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think um, it's really easy to to assume that, though. Absolutely. Well, how do you define spiritual warfare in your book? And is struggling with anxiety a form of spiritual warfare? Is this something that the enemy exploits? Right. Yeah. You know. Uh, really, spiritual warfare can can just uh, send people so many different directions uh, when you talk about it. Uh, either you've got people on the one hand who uh, deny its existence at all and don't don't want to even go there, um, and then on the other extreme, you have people seeing a, a demon behind every tree and, and really, uh, you know, giving the devil more credit than he deserves mm-hmm. for for things that are just part of life. Um, I kind of have a very simple view of spiritual warfare, and and I just would define it as anything that negatively affects our spirits. So, uh, you know, that that means that uh, it doesn't have to be necessarily caused by the devil, uh, but but once something is in play, he's not above using whatever. We definitely do have an enemy, and uh, he is looking for every advantage over us that he can find. And uh, so I, I do think, you know, anxiety is certainly something that the devil can use as as uh, spiritual warfare. But I think about Paul and his example of the, the thorn in the flesh that, you know, on the one hand, he, he, he refers to it as a messenger of Satan. And then he, by the end, he's flipping it around and saying that it's something God has used in his life. And so I think the same is true for for anxiety, it started out definitely feeling like uh, this is this is of the enemy, uh, and yet I've also seen God really redeem it and turn it around to be something that He has changed my life with, and uh, and broken me down with, and uh, and broken through some things that I really needed 
for him to uh, dismantle. Well, let's talk about the armor of God and how it can help uh, relieve one of the anxious mind. When we read the scripture that we're not supposed to be anxious, it suggests that, yeah, that's a tendency that we have, but God has made provision for that. Talk a bit about how the armor of God can address this struggle with an anxious mind. Yeah, you know, I think, uh, especially for me, uh, I'll just use my my own experience as an example here. I, I think when I I was diagnosed uh, in the process of all this anxiety, eventually got to a diagnosis of obsessive compulsive disorder. And, uh, you know, I think part of the compulsion part of it for me uh, has has been to constantly scrape uh, for my own motives. And uh, I, I, I equate it to this sort of spiritual version of compulsive hand washing, always trying to get clean and feeling like you can never quite get there. And, and this constantly, um, you know, just evaluating myself and, and being really uh, judgmental of myself. And I think um, as, as I can come to that acceptance of the fact that um, I'm never going to be able to get myself clean, uh, then I can see that the, the armor of God, when he talks about the, the shield of faith, it's, it's putting faith in what Christ has already done for me and saying the only thing that is going to protect me and make me okay is what Jesus did on the cross. And that's, that becomes then my safety and my shield. And when I am hiding behind that, it's like uh, scripture says that he, he shelters us under his wings. And, uh, and so I, I learned to rely on his doing that for me rather than, than my own uh, best efforts to, to get clean on my own. And that, of course, is always the challenge for us to take full advantage of the tools that he's given us in order to be uh, victorious uh, in this life. You write about the uh, the shield of faith. You write about having your feet shod, about the breastplate of righteousness. Um, all of these tools can help us to to deal with an anxious mind. How has that worked for you? You know, I think the uh, the the piece of the armor that I've developed the most affection for is the the helmet of salvation, um, because of everything that was happening inside my my brain, and uh, I realized uh, I, I got this picture of of you know a, a a patient in the hospital who has just undergone some sort of uh, brain brain surgery or is recovering from a brain injury and the the doctors will will put a, a helmet on them to to protect them and i realized that the the helmet of salvation is is to cover the uh the wounds inside my head as well as the attacks mm-hmm. from the outside and uh that that was a great comfort to me and and to realize that um i didn't need God to take the anxiety away for me. What I needed was to be freed from the power of that anxiety. And so uh, to, to allow it to be there and for God to use it and, and to instead of say, God, uh, eradicate this, take it, take it away, to instead say, you know, be glorified in this, uh, use it. And um, so I, I feel like that's what he's continuing to teach me. Mm. What do you say to the listener today who maybe for the first time is making a connection between the armor of God 
and the anxious mind that they struggle with. What do you say to them to offer some encouragement um, and some guidance, as does your book? Mm. Well, I think the first thing I would want to say is uh, I'm, I'm so sorry for your suffering um, and and you're not alone in it. Um, I think part of putting my story out there is just to uh, encourage people. It, it can be so isolating and it feels like you're the only one in the world uh, who who understands what you're experiencing. And and I think, um, you know, I think about Jesus being so stressed in the Garden of Gethsemane that he sweat uh, drops of blood and and go that is that is understanding being under the pressure uh, of of uh, an anxious mind as he looked forward to or looked ahead to what was in front of him and and he understands and he knows and and also uh, his grace in in his armor is so much bigger and and so much more of a gift for us than we could ever imagine and so to uh to pick it up and and grab onto it as a as a lifeline rather than as something to to do right for god well the book once again is titled perfectly suited the armor of god for the anxious mind it's published by aspire and currently available uh, any parting words on the the book and to uh to those who like you have struggle with uh, anxiety well, I would just use the words of Mr. Rogers and say, if it's mentionable, it's manageable. And so to be able to talk about what you're going through with someone, uh, it, it just um, it just does a world of good to press into relationship when, when it feels like you'd rather just isolate and withdraw. Mm. And so I encourage people to, to reach out. Well, let me just ask you, for those who have friends or family who struggle with anxiety, how might we best encourage them to uh, to press into what God's word offers to us in the armor of God? What would be helpful? Mm, that is a really good question. And I think, um, you know, the the one thing I would encourage people is to not burden people with the, the added weight of, of guilt around it and uh, to, to offer the encouragement as, as comfort that's in scripture rather than as a an admonition that you shouldn't feel that right now mm-hmm. uh, and to, to validate the, the feeling and to, um, to come alongside and, and listen more than give advice, I think is, is good. Well, again, I thank you so much for joining us today and for the book perfectly suited. Thanks pastor. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice show. When we return, we'll return to some of the day's headlines. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the big news story today and for the last couple of days is the president's um, home being um, rifled, if you will, and whether or not it was justified. Hopefully we'll have information that will clarify what precisely was being looked for, and perhaps it will be justified, perhaps not. While we're waiting, though, the president uh, invoked the Fifth Amendment and his uh, right to invoke the Fifth Amendment in a deposition for the New York Attorney General in the civil investigation. Um, The president um, had previously suggested that pleading the Fifth Amendment 
was evidence of one's guilt. He admitted after this hearing that now he gets it. Well, the president was set to uh, sit down with attorneys from the state's attorney general's office behind closed doors just days after the FBI raided his home. Uh, as part of an unrelated federal investigation on involving the National Archives and Records Administration and classified materials, the former president allegedly took with him from the White House to Palm Beach, Florida, when he left in January of 2021, some years ago. Well, uh, in a statement Wednesday morning, the, the, the former president said what Letitia James has tried to do these last three years is a disgrace to the legal system and affront to New York state uh, taxpayers and a violation of the solemn rights and protections afforded by the United States Constitution. Well, the former president said he invoked the Fifth Amendment rights per the advice of his attorneys during his deposition as part of New York Attorney General uh, Letitia James civil investigation, calling it an unfounded, politically motivated witch hunt and adding that he had no choice due to the Biden administration and prosecutors across the nation having lost all moral and ethical bounds of decency, end quote. The president uh, went on to say, I did nothing wrong, which is why after five years of looking, the federal, state and local governments together with the fake news media have found nothing. Uh, We cannot permit a renegade and out of control prosecutor to use this investigation as a means of advancing her political career. New York deserves better and this country deserves better. This is a vindictive and self-serving fishing expedition, the likes of which our country has never seen before. He went on to say the United States Constitution exists for this very purpose, and I will utilize it to the fullest extent to defend myself against this malicious attack by this administration. I once asked if you're innocent, why do you uh, take the Fifth Amendment? Now I know the answer is uh, to that question. He continued, when your family, your company and all of the people in your orbit have become the target of a of an investigation, an unfounded, politically motivated witch hunt supported by lawyers, prosecutors, and the fake news media, you have no choice. Again, that investigation, a separate investigation, continues. Well, on to other news. The Justice Department uh, yesterday announced charges against an Iranian operative for an alleged plot to assassinate former Trump administration national security advisor John Bolton. And while much cannot be said publicly right now, one point is indisputable. Iran's rulers are liars, terrorists and enemies of the United States, Bolton said in a statement after the Department of Justice announcement. Well, Shahram Porsafi, or something very close to that, a member of Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, is wanted by the FBI for the plot to kill Bolton, which U.S. officials said was likely planned in retaliation for the January 2020 strike that killed uh, Soleimani, a revered Iranian leader and the head of Iran's Quds Force. Well, the Justice Department has the solemn duty to defend our citizens from hostile governments who seek to hurt or kill them. The Assistant Attorney General Matthew Olson of the Justice Department's National Security Division said in a press release, this is not the first time we have uncovered Iranian plots to exact revenge against individuals on U.S. soil, and we will work tirelessly to expose and disrupt every one of these efforts. There were apparently other names on that list as well. Well, inside the investigation, the unprecedented FBI raid on former President Trump's home leaves Americans with more questions than answers. One can only hope those uh, answers will be forthcoming. Calling them billionaire benefits, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez constituents weighed in on how Democrats removed a proposed tax hike affecting billionaires from the Inflation Reduction Act in order to pass the massive spending bill and its climate initiatives. In city council chaos, prosecutors disrupted an L.A. meeting 
on banning homeless camps near schools. Taking back power, Michigan gubernatorial candidate Tudor Dixon says parents will call the shots in the midterm elections and reclaim the culture. We'll see if that's a true uh, prediction. When the FBI comes a-knocking, Dan Rather says the Trump FBI raid represents the spotlight of justice in a perilous time. Overlooking her own controversies and her emails, Hillary Clinton appears to fundraise off of the Mar-a-Lago search. Her moment of delight. In a show of veteran support, President Biden signed the bipartisan burn pit legislation. And joining the blame game, a Bloomberg op-ed blames election deniers for Biden's low economy numbers, economic numbers. Not sure how that translates uh, into his economic numbers, but nonetheless, uh, political fallout. A CNN political director says the Mar-a-Lago FBI raid can work for Trump and the Democrats. Again, I'm scratching my head. Benefit of the doubt, MSNBC contributor Charlie Skies, he expressed alarm Tuesday at Republicans rallying around the former president after the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago, saying they weren't giving the feds the benefit of the doubt. Well, there are reasons why the benefit of the doubt has not been given. In a police exodus crisis, officers are ditching the job at a rate never seen before. An underlying momentum, white-hot inflation is being seen as cooling in July, but remains at a near-record high. The GOP has responded to the Mar-a-Lago raid. If the FBI doesn't have bedrock solid reasons for raiding former President Trump's Florida home on Monday, and by the way, they might, uh, there should be, well, hell to pay. The Daily Wire's Ben Shapiro declared, well, this sort of move requires serious levels of trust by the American public in its institutions. He continued, that trust no longer exists if those institutions fail yet again and target the leader of Joe Biden's political opposition in doing so. This looks like a banana republic. Leader Kevin McCarthy said, Attorney General Garland, uh, preserve your documents and clear your calendar. If the Republicans take the House, there will be investigations. Representative Carlos Jimenez says the Mar-a-Lago raid on Trump by the FBI is yet another glimpse into what happens when unelected, unchecked Washington bureaucrats weaponize their agencies. I won't participate in handing Biden another army of 87,000 IRS paper pushers to target and harass American business owners. Nikki Haley says almost 24 hours after a former president's home is raided and the FBI, Justice Department and White House have zero explanation. Does that mean this sort of thing is now business as usual? That can never be allowed to happen. America is waiting for answers and hopefully they will be forthcoming. Mike Pompeo says uh, executing a warrant against an ex-president of the United States is dangerous. The apparent political weaponization of the Department of Justice, FBI is shameless or shameful rather. Um, AG must explain why 250 years of practice was upended with this raid. I served on Benghazi uh, com where we proved Hillary possessed classified info. We didn't raid her home. Big question marks, hopefully big answers to come. Hillary Clinton and Hunter Biden are treated like uh, treated with kid gloves while President Trump's home is raided. Some point out the Daily Wire reports that the former secretary of state, uh, Mike Pompeo, who served as the director of the Central Intelligence Agency before serving as secretary of state, slammed the FBI raid on the former president, uh, his home on Monday, highlighting the disparity between that raid and the treatment of former presidential candidate and secretary of state Hillary Clinton. The FBI's raid was revealed by Trump in a statement on Monday, and reports indicate that the raid revolved around supposed classified documents. 
Meanwhile, Mike Pompeo said, you think those 87,000 new IRS agents are just for show? Look at what the DOJ did last night to President Trump while it slow rolls and looks the other way on Hunter Biden. If they will go after the former president, they will, referring to the IRS, go after you. And finally, Governor Ron DeSantis said the rate, uh, the raid rather on uh, the president's home is another escalation in the weaponization of federal agencies against the regime's political opponents, while people like Hunter Biden get treated with kid gloves. Now the regime is getting another 87K agents, the IRS, to wield uh, against its adversaries, Banana Republic. Well, again, we'll see how all of this unfolds in the days ahead. And, of course, the 87-plus uh, IRS agents has not yet been embraced and passed by the House We'll certainly follow that vote when it is uh, taken up by the House in the days ahead. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the Inflation Reduction Act has an Orwellian ring to it. The National Review writes that the Congressional Budget Office, the Penn Wharton budget model, and even bill supporter Bernie Sanders all agree the bill won't have a noticeable impact on inflation at all. Everything in it was proposed uh, before inflation became a pressing concern, and the bill serves progressive interests, which explains Sanders' support. Well, the biggest chunk of spending is on corporate welfare for green energy companies. That's what corporate tax credits means in the context of climate policy. And the bill has hundreds of billions of dollars worth of them. Progressives are breathlessly claiming that the bill will reduce emissions by 40 percent by 2030. What they aren't saying as loudly is that the 40 percent is measured uh, starting 2005. So much of the reduction halfway to 40 percent as of 2020 has occurred already. The bill raises corporate taxes through a book minimum tax. Corporations pass much of their tax burden on to consumers who are already facing higher prices. It also contains a hidden gas tax increase by reinstating the Superfund tax that lapsed in the 1990s. Stephen Moore says, I never seen anything like this in my 35 years. This will bankrupt our country. Well, Hillary Clinton is enjoying this moment. She's mocking the former president in a fundraising pitch after his home was raided by the uh, FBI. Move from... The move is done in poor taste. Anyway, Biden signs a bill to increase chip production in the U.S. In an effort to beat China, President Biden on Tuesday signed a $280 billion bipartisan bill to boost domestic high-tech manufacturing, part of his administration's push to boost U.S. competitiveness over China. The future of the chip industry is going to be made in America, Biden said in a sweltering Rose Garden ceremony last week, referring to the Uh, The diminutive devices that power everything from smartphones to computers to automobiles. The legislation sets aside $52 billion specifically to bolster the U.S. computer chip sector. The president does away with Trump's remain in Mexico policy. The U.S. border officials on Monday suspended the Trump era rules that required certain migrants to wait for their asylum hearings in Mexico. The suspension followed a federal court order that put an end to a lengthy legal back and forth over President Biden's efforts to end the policy. In a statement, the Department of Homeland Security said it would process migrants already enrolled in the program and allow them to continue their asylum cases inside the U.S., The announcement, which came more than a year after the Biden administration's first move to terminate the Remain in Mexico rules, was made possible by a court order earlier on Monday. 
The New York Post weighs in, saying the former president, Donald Trump's first implemented MPP in early 2019 as the number of migrant encounters surged over 100,000 each month. We're well past that now. Russia implements a temporary pause of the START treaty. Uh, The crisis over Russia's invasion of Ukraine spilled into the uh, realm of arms control on Monday when Moscow said it won't support the resumption of inspections of its nuclear arsenal under the new START nuclear arms treaty because of travel restrictions imposed by the U.S. The accord, which cuts long-range nuclear arms, is the last major agreement regulating the nuclear competition between Washington and Moscow. Both sides have been observing its limits. Well, at least we hope both sides. Weapons inspections were paused in 2020 because of COVID-19 pandemic. The U.S. wanted to have a team of inspectors resume on-site monitoring, U.S. officials said. But Russia's foreign ministry said in a statement on Monday that American inspections couldn't resume at this time because U.S.-driven international restrictions precluded Russian aircraft from flying Russian inspectors to American territory. National Review weighs in, saying that Russia claimed that the U.S. sanctions due to the war on Ukraine, including banning Russian aircraft, were affecting Russia's ability to inspect American nuclear arsenals. The halt would be temporary, Moscow claimed, saying it would resume the treaty after the existing problematic issues are resolved. New START was extended in 2021 and is expected to last until 2026. The treaty limits the number of nuclear warheads for each country to 1,500 and allows 18 on-site annual inspections by each country. Republicans are preparing to unseat Democrat incumbents in Wisconsin and Connecticut in the Senate. Leora Levy, former uh, President Trump-endorsed candidate in the Connecticut Senate race, is projected to have won the chance uh, on Tuesday to face, uh, face off again Senator Richard Blumenthal this fall. USA Today says in Wisconsin, Democrat Mandel Barnes won astounding, astoundingly, uh, astoundingly rather, and will face incumbent governor, uh, GOP senator rather, Representative uh, Johnson in November in a race that could determine which party will control the upper, upper chamber, uh, chamber next year. That's in Wisconsin. President Biden's legislation has put America in record high inflation and a recession, and we have no reason to believe the IRS won't be used against Americans. Hugh Hewitt points out that what will the IRS do with $80 billion in new funds or find the 87,000 new workers who would be phased in over a decade to do? Go after richer, high-value targets, at least in theory. The Congressional Budget Office estimated the IRS booster funds will reduce the deficit by about $200 billion. But if the agency metric of success remains the same, audits yielding increased payments from taxpayers, such estimates are little more than guesswork. Well, as parents prepare to send their children back to school, many, many have made decisions about their child's education that will not only put them on a different trajectory, but also impact the public education system, which is being used in too many districts to indoctrinate more than educate. Well, stories about drag queens in kindergarten forcing students to use preferred pronouns, biological boys who say they are transgender using locker rooms and showers once reserved for girls, along with the pandemic, which convinced growing numbers of parents that homeschooling worked better. All of these are prompting an exodus of parents and now teachers from public schools. The New York Times recently chronicled the trend. And I'm quoting in New York City, the nation's largest school district has lost 50,000 students over the past two years. In Michigan, enrollment remains more than 50,000 below pre-pandemic levels from big cities to the rural upper uh, peninsula. In the suburbs of Orange County, California, 
where families have moved for generations to be part of the public school system. Enrollment slid for a second consecutive year. Statewide, more than a quarter million public school students have dropped from California rolls since 2019, end quote. Well, not only kids are abandoning public schools, many teachers have also checked out. The Washington Post reports the teacher shortage in America has hit crisis level. The school officials everywhere are scrambling to ensure that as students return to the classroom, someone will be there to educate them. Speaking about the shortage of teachers, Dan Dominic, executive director of the American Association of School Administrators, uh, told the Post, I have never seen it this bad. Well, the question is, What kind of classroom will public school kids return to? Will it be like classrooms here in Portland, where children as young as five will be taught transgender ideology, sexual orientation, and, reports the Washington Times, the role of white colonizers in marginalizing LGBTQ people? Now, can they read, write, add, subtract? Mm, Is it important? Darla Romfo, president of the Children's Scholarship Fund, which offers scholarships to students in poorly performing inner city schools, responded this with this sweeping wokeism in an email. When more than half of students can't even read proficiently and the pandemic only exacerbated the learning loss, especially for our most vulnerable students, why do schools insist on diverting time and resources into non-academic, controversial subjects that are confusing at best and don't align with many families' values? Parents are tired of it, and rightly so. And my advice is, if your school doesn't respond to your concerns, find another school that will. There are no, um, there are no do-overs when it comes to your child's education. Well, U.S. students continue to lag behind other countries in reading, math, and science. We appear to be number one in costs, though, averaging $16,268 per student annually, well above, uh, above rather the global average, $10,000, 750 59 um, and better performing, better educated students. Parents have a right to ask if the cost equals the benefits since it's their tax dollars. With the proliferation of private schools, more readily available resources for homeschooling and school choice and growing numbers of states, more parents are withdrawing their children from public schools. The system, increasingly dominated by uh, political and social, uh, social ideology, has long been in need of reform or burial. The trend seems to be headed in the burial direction like previous aging monopolies. Well, the president has declared a public health emergency because of monkeypox. There is a vaccine to protect against monkeypox. The only protection for public schools, intellectual and moral infection of children is removing. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got more headline news when we return. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're going to continue to work our way through some of the top news stories of the uh, of the day, beginning with another pro uh, Trump impeachment Republican apparently bit the dust in Washington state's um, primary. Uh, former Green Beret Joe Kent, bested Republican incumbent Representative Jamie Harara B- uh, Butler, Uh, In doing so, he eliminated yet another of the 10 House Republicans who voted in favor of impeaching Donald Trump the second time. Well, Kent welcomed Trump's endorsement. He called it uh, the most powerful endorsement in the country and the gold standard for conservative politicians. It would appear that, at least in Kent's case, his observation was correct. However, Butler's um, fellow 
Evergreen State GOP impeachment supporter Dan Newhouse was able to fend off his Trump-endorsed challenger to win his primary contest. Meanwhile, moving east to Minnesota, a Democrat House race came down to the wire as far-leftist firebrand anti-Semite and squad member Ilhan Omar squeaked by her primary opponent, Don Samuels. Uh, The vote came down to a spread of 50.39% to 48.15%. Uh, with Samuels conceding late Tuesday evening, but offering a warning to Omar that the closeness of the race indicated that constituents aren't happy with how she has uh, proven to be a divisive force in Congress. And her anti-police stance shows that she's been out of touch with voters. By the way, her opponent um, was, in fact, uh, he's also an immigrant from Somalia. He uh, was a supporter of hers. He had voted for her but uh, believe she has uh, fallen far outside the mainstream and certainly does not represent her constituents. So we'll see if this um, reigns her in in any uh, way. I would suggest not. She has access to a great deal of money and she won the primary. An arrested Afghan immigrant is suspected of serial killer, suspected to be a serial killer of Muslim men. This 51-year-old Afghan immigrant has been arrested in Albuquerque, New Mexico, following a string of killings that targeted members of the city's Muslim community. Mohammed Syed has been charged in two murders and is the primary suspect in two other killings. All of the victims were Muslim men who had immigrated to the U.S. One was from Afghanistan and three others were from Pakistan. Investigators said that Syed has uh, had a possible personal relationship with the first victim who was killed last November, although he is yet to uh, be charged in that uh, that crime. As the number of killings mounted over the past few months, fears grew within Albuquerque's Muslim community that a serial killer was targeting Muslims. A Republican candidate for the state house, Khalid Amshadi, uh, who is himself Muslim, uh, canceled a campaign event last week over the growing fear that something bad is going to happen. A Muslim community activist within the city uh, pointed out a, a sad irony. These are young men who come to America for the peace of mind of just living a life and not having to worry about the issues that they left back home. Prior to the arrest, uh, President Biden uh, weighed in on the murders by insinuating that hatred of Muslims was the motive behind the killings. Of course, he had no idea what the the motivation might have been. He said, I am angered and saddened by the horrific killings of four Muslim men in Albuquerque. While we await the full investigation, my prayers are with the victims and families and my administration stand strongly with the Muslim community. These hateful attacks have no place in America, end quote. Well, now with a suspect arrested who is a member of that very community, it's obvious that the president's lobbying the hate crime grenade. Before any real information was known, only served to incite divisiveness. Never mind the fact that the president has been mum on spiking murder rates in Democrat-run cities all across the country. But you pick and choose which is most politically expedient these days. Well, the FBI's raid of former President Donald Trump's Florida home, Mar-a-Lago, has raised questions about Trump's future, as well as the propriety of the Biden administration's unprecedented actions in conducting the pre-dawn search on Monday. Federal agents' dissent on the former president's estate in Palm Beach is an unprecedented legal and historical matter. White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre told reporters on Tuesday that neither President Joe Biden nor anyone else outside the Justice Department got advance notice of the FBI raid. Some key questions about the action. Is a Trump indictment more likely? What are potential penalties? Will this further undermine confidence in the Justice Department? And is this unprecedented action justified gaining information or at least a response from the department will be 
uh, very helpful in people sorting through their response to what happened. A federal appeals court rules Congress can go after Trump's tax returns and home listings surge at a record rate as the housing market starts to cool. Most electric vehicles won't qualify for the federal tax credit. So if you're planning on buying one, you might want to check that out. Remember when Obamacare was supposed to solve all our health care problems? Well, medical deserts strand millions without access to life-saving health care. You can read more about that in the Washington Examiner. As the Democrats' uh, spending plan moves closer to a House vote, one of the more controversial provisions, nearly $80 billion in IRS funding, with $45.6 billion for enforcement, has raised questions about who the agency may target for audits. IRS Commissioner Charles Reddig said these resources are absolutely not about increasing audit scrutiny on small businesses or middle-income Americans in a recent letter to the Senate. However, with the investment projected to bring in $203.7 billion in revenue from 2022 to 2031, according to the Congressional Budget Office, opponents say IRS enforcement may affect everyday Americans. And after you uh, go through all of the million and billionaires, what are you going to do? Where's the real money? That's in the middle of America. Police officers are ditching the job at a rate never seen before. And construction executive Tim Michaels has won uh, Wisconsin governor's primary. New York will use a different term for inmates to reduce the harmful stigma. And a California judge struck down a San Francisco law allowing non-citizens to vote in school board elections. Minnesota pharmacist, a Minnesota pharmacist who denied emergency contraception, has won his case. We should be able to live our beliefs, says George Badeau. Well, Minnesota pharmacist uh, faced legal trouble after he refused to provide emergency contraceptive pills, which essentially induce an abortion, to a patient in 2019 because of his personal religious beliefs. I couldn't fill this prescription because one of the possible mechanisms of action of the medication is that it can prevent the implantation of a fertilized egg into the uterus. Um, In my mind, that would be ending a new human life. Well, he went on to say the patients moved to sue him for refusing to supply the morning after pill surprised him. He also argued that medical professionals should not be forced to leave their deeply held beliefs in their back pocket on the job. We should be able to live our live out our beliefs in our workplace. He noted that uh, I should say the judge noted that although um, the pharmacist won the case, the plaintiffs received twenty five thousand dollars for emotional harm. That's a confusing feature of Minnesota's trial practice, said the attorney representing the pharmacist. America is supposed to be the land of free speech, a place where the government is prevented from silencing views in which certain politicians or bureaucrats may disagree. Well, anyone who has been paying attention to the covid pandemic witnessed an unprecedented campaign by big tech to wage a censorship war against voices that dared to question Dr. Anthony Fauci and the administration's coronavirus narrative. Facebook, for example, inserted warning labels on posts that may have challenged the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's claims regarding COVID. Twitter outright banned contradictory voices. And of course, all this speech squelching was done under the guise of needing to protect people from misinformation. It was justified as not having violated the First Amendment over the dubious grounds that the social media giants were private companies and not the public square. Well, some of those voices, the Biden administration colluded with big tech to silence are now suing the administration. And these aren't just any individuals. They are, in fact, experts in their fields of medicine and epidemiology. Dr. Gianta 
I won't attempt to mispronounce the last name, is a medical uh, professor at Stanford University. Dr. Martin Kulldorff was a professor of medicine at Harvard University. Both of these men challenged the universal lockdown and vaccine mandates as they argued for a more targeted approach, focusing on the most vulnerable Americans um, and against widespread lockdowns that would cause more harm than good. Well, these men were co-authors of the Great Barrington Declaration, which espoused the above approach. However, for daring to challenge the administration's narrative, they were effectively blacklisted and painted as fringe quacks and conspiracy theorists. Well, they have filed a lawsuit. Well, the lawsuit of doctors and scientists has raised uh, have raised against the Biden administration and specifically the CDC and the Department of Homeland Security. The group is represented by the new Civil Liberties Alliance, which is charging the administration with coordinating with big tech to censor voices that challenged the official covid narrative. By the way, there is a new virus detected in China. It's infected 35 people. We'll let you know more about that on tomorrow's program Uh, That will be coming up. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Need to take a quick break. We'll be back to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. On this day in history, 1861, Confederate forces route Union troops in the Battle of Wilson's Creek in Missouri, the first major engagement of the Civil War west of the Mississippi River. 1921, Franklin D. Roosevelt is stricken with polio at his summer home on the Canadian island of Campobello. 1944, during World War II, American forces overcome remaining Japanese resistance on Guam. 1975, TV personality David Frost announces he's purchased the exclusive rights to interview former President Richard Nixon. 1988, President Ronald Reagan signs a measure providing $20,000 payments to still-living Japanese Americans who were interned by their government during World War II. 1993, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is sworn in as the second female justice on the U.S. Supreme Court. 1995, Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols are charged with 11 counts in the Oklahoma City bombing. 1995, Norma McCorvey, Jane Roe in the 1973 Supreme Court decision legalizing abortion, announcing she has joined the pro-life group Operation Rescue. And finally, on this day in history, 2008, at the Beijing Olympics, Michael Phelps begins his long march toward eight gold medals by winning the 400-meter individual medley at four minutes, three seconds, smashing his own world record. Well, there is something that has emerged in um, political rhetoric, and it's referred to as Christian nationalism. It's a label, an attempt to inspire social restraint. Uh, Emmy um, uh, Griffin writes on the subject and points out that President John Adams once wrote, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. He was declaring what all the founding fathers felt. Biblical values should be our guidestones. However, since the end of World War II, the secular has been viciously pushing out the sacred. Secularists have coined a new label meant to drive a wedge between believers and further silence the faithful as our culture sinks into depravity. They call us Christian nationalists, at least those uh, who are brave enough to bring our, their faith to the marketplace of ideas in the political sphere. As writer John Zmirak re- uh, remarks, Christian nationalism, what does it mean? Well, nobody actually knows, and that's part of the point. If the term were precisely defined, we could talk about it rationally and decide whether it represents something that's good, neutral, or evil. Or maybe not even evil, but outmoded, unwise, ill-conceived, or otherwise imprudent for this moment in history. 
Whichever Ivy League wordsmith came up with Christian nationalism, he knew what he was doing. What's the ugliest, most justly unpopular ideology in America? It is white nationalism. The smear of racism has been a valuable weapon in the left's arsenal. It is uh, its favorite go-to accusation, so much so that right is um, intrinsically linked to the charge. Conversely, the racist charge has lost a lot of its sting because leftists use it to describe anyone they disagree with or don't like. For the regular American, though, it still holds the power to silence. If you are a conservative Christian, you are lumped in with white nationalists or uh, fringier Republicans like Lauren Boebert or Marjorie Taylor Greene. It's an effective slur. Christianity is a religious faith, not a race or a political position. It encompasses people on both the right and the left side of the uh, political aisle and people of every tribe and nation. But our culture has been captured by the secular, materialistic left. To those who want to implement actual evil, Christianity and faithful believers are standing in their way. These have gone beyond atheism and straight to the darkness of paganism, though they've... uh, uh, they have to direct people away from their own obvious misbehavior. As Mirak also argued, the brainiest, most Machiavellian leftists out there, people like Mark Elias, Rahm Emanuel, and others whose names don't make the papers, realized on election night 2016 that on the merits, they lose every time. People who adhere to the secular left have gone too far. They refuse to tell the truth about how monkeypox is spread because curbing homosexual appetites is somehow immoral. They advertise abortion altars. They advocate for abortions up to nine months of pregnancy. They're grooming our children in gender theory, which teaches them that sex and sexuality are the most important parts of their identity. And they have stolen the sacred meaning of marriage. Historically, these stances have all been practiced before, just under different names, child sacrifices, bacchanalia, Hitler youth, etc. The reappearance of these evil practices signals the death of a culture. We see this, uh, too, in the radical left's active push to erase the past and destroy our cultural heroes. Christianity is not a blockade obstructing access to good things. It's a guide rail trying to keep the country from driving off the side of a mountain road. If we as Christians continue to let our beliefs and morals be smeared, we're betraying an essential part of what Christ has called us to do. In Matthew 22, 37 through 40, Jesus tells us what the uh, greatest commandments are. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. By conceding to the secular and lowering the guardrails of moral Christian teaching, we're betraying these two great commandments. We are, in a sense, letting our neighbors do unspeakable evil unchecked. And that is the most unloving action of all. Therefore, Christian, do not falter, conceding to the secular and going quiet with our faith in the public political sphere. That's what's gotten us where we are today. It's an interesting um, article, and I appreciate uh, the emphasis on the point that Christian nationalism is a new phrase out there to delegitimize the expression of faith in the public square that uh, causes many to simply cower. And then the editors of... um, I have to remember National Review had this to say 
about um, the FBI's Mar-a-Lago search, saying that Americans deserve an explanation. I won't get through all of it, but just the, uh, the early part. The United States is a land of propositions. One of those propositions is that no man, not even the president, is above the law. Another proposition is that those who temporarily wield power must not use it to harass or disadvantage their political opponents. Occasionally, these two propositions can come into tension. Monday night's FBI search of Mar-a-Lago provides us with one of those occasions. There is nothing wrong, per se, with the investigation or uh, uh, prosecution of political figures. Indeed, that the most powerful and popular people in the country may be held responsible for their crimes serves as the very definition of equality. But because the perception of impropriety can be so damaging to the political order, the occupants of positions of power have a special obligation to tread lightly when dealing with their ideological opponents. The difference between a free republic and a banana republic is not whether the powerful can be held to account, but whether the powerful are held to account legitimately in a manner that is not transparent, pretext for ulterior motives. Does the Department of Justice understand this? The jury is still out. We're hoping to get some sort of explanation, uh, details about the indictment that led to the uh, search of Mar-a-Lago to help clarify whether or not this action was justified or if, in fact, it was a pretext uh, to prevent the uh, former president from seeking the office a second time around. We'll continue to follow the story as it develops. Tomorrow on the program, we're going to talk with Pastor Alan Jackson. He is the author of Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception. The book is published by Thomas Nelson. He's also going to be the keynote speaker at the upcoming Pastors Appreciation Breakfast. That's November 3rd. We'll be giving pastors uh, and other uh, servants in the church more details as we get closer to the date. I want to thank James Blend for producing, Sam Moppin for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.